1: Plushcare.com slash weight loss.
2: Gentlemen, you all right, back in, back in the room together.
3: Wait a minute, this is massive for me, this. Yeah. I'm fed up of looking at a fucking computer screen. Yeah, I'm the same. <laughs> you know what I mean? I bought a computer for this lockdown and already I could throw it out at it past <laughs> the window. <laughs> we're a meter apart. We're, we're probably a bit more. Yeah. meter yeah. and a half, just to be safe. Safety first. But no, I'm uh, I'm glad to be back. all we need now is for the restaurants to be open where we're doing the podcast so we can order some <laughs> snap.
4: It's worth saying though, the po- this coming podcast is a zoom one.
2: Yes. It is. But Both. we've just recorded Danny no, Weber.
3: Danny Weber. We had a message on we had a message on Twitter the other day saying someone's just downloaded Patreon and they've got seventeen to listen to.
2: Seventeen podcasts for the two pound? For the
3: two pound. 17. two pounds
2: something depending on the yeah. on the exchange
3: rate. that's out of our hands yeah two and a bit quid 17 podcast listen to so that's you're probably looking at 17, 34 you're looking at a good 40 hours entertainment there for you two if, quid if you find his entertaining man that's that's a, that's a up to yourselves, But so, the thing is n- not everybody's going to know about because somebody messaged saying any chance
4: of getting a new one out I'm up to date so I've messaged him and he didn't even know about the patreon he was absolutely overjoyed. Over, oh. the joyed. <laughs> over the joy. <laughs> <laughs> over the Over the joy. Over
3: the joy, Buzzing with the moon, anyway. It was. Buzzing
4: with the moon. <laughs> he, <laughs> he, he, uh, he didn't even know about it. So he's, he's a member now. Yeah. It's
3: another conversion. For
2: anybody, for anybody who isn't aware of the Patreon, then um, £2 a month and every other Thursday we've got an extra episode coming out.
3: Yeah, Bert, you've got 17 in your back catalogue to bash through.
2: If you sign up, then you get all the back catalogue of the previous released episodes. You do the maths.
3: When you think about it, when you put it into monetary value, you're getting a hell of a lot of money, a hell of a lot of content for your £2.28, 27 pence or whatever, depending on conversion. So get involved. Get involved. I'm, and, I'm, I'm, half, ne- I'm halfway to my new set of teeth with it, I'll be honest with you.
2: Don't <laughs> forget the Tom Bowler because we had some bloody cracking in, it yeah, in it oh it prizes this week. Oh, month.
3: yes.
4: Can we start giving away some um, branded merchandise? Oh,
2: we
3: could do some under the cosh gear. (laughs) We've not got any of that. Some whispers
2: in the wind. There's some whispers in the wind of some under the cosh merchandise. I've
3: been saying this for years. (laughs) 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 Yeah, some under the cosh merchandise coming.
2: Under the cosh merch, which will yeah, we can give some away in the next uh, in the next tom Bowler. for the tier two.
3: We'll have to give some away because we've printed a 1,000 and we fucking no chance of telling them. <laughs> supply and demand. <laughs> we've, just gone, we've just gone demand and uh, we've just gone supply and we're just going to wait on the demand. Hey. Hope for
2: the best. Hope for the best. Joe Thompson this week?
3: Mm. Mate, what a story. Like it, it, As much away from the football... His actual life story is fucking out, like, mm. unbel- outrageous. Really,
2: puts things into into perspective, doesn't it? You know, I know it's only relative to your own situation, but it kind of puts things into perspective when you talk about your own adversities or players' adversities, having injuries or whatever. You're talking about a lad yeah. who's
4: life and death. Yeah, and there's one bit in it, and I was—I think we all were—choking choking up. up. Yeah,
3: yeah,
2: but we're not revealed too much. No, no.
3: Oh, obviously not. No, but I mean. Probably the most, like the most harrowing one we've done, really. Yeah, I know people have had bad injuries and or been shit on by clubs or stuff, but this literally is really. He's a great lad as well, money. Yeah, yeah, lovely guy, lovely and guy.
2: With a continued positive outlook, yeah. no matter what. Should we get Joe on?
4: Yes. Yes, enjoy. Yeah, it's a belt, or an action.
5: You're top Thompson, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Hello, mate. Thanks for coming on, M. Thank you very much. No, it's been a long time coming. Thanks for coming on. It's a, an honour. No, it's been my pleasure, I'm sure. You know, I'm missing football. I'm missing having a bit of banter and a bit of crack. So, like I say, I'm here, here to have a laugh. The, bu- the book's out? Yeah, 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 the book's out. Dart and doing really well. Um, but on all accounts, you know, a lot of people have had particularly in these current times, a bit of time to do some reading. Amazing, I suppose. I'll, if I look back now and think when I started 14 years ago, whether you would tell me I'd be a published author, I would have told you to sling it. But <laughs> hey-ho. It's a bit of a strange experience, isn't it, talking about yourself and thinking about yourself? Yeah, massively. You know, you have to go to quite a deep place in a way. Mm. There's a lot of conversations that you have with family members that, you know, a lot of us go a lifetime without having. Uh, So, yeah, it was uh, an emotional journey, to say the least. Was there much stuff in the book that that was your first time visiting
2: it, so to speak, putting it down on paper?
5: Yeah, when you put it like that, definitely, you know, there's not many people that write down and go back, particularly over some quite traumatic experiences, um, and then start to ask for other people who, you know, has been involved in the story, their opinions and their emotions. So in a corporate world, they use the word uh, cathartic, and I tend to use the word draining. Um.
3: I'm, glad, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you've, uh, I'm glad you've yeah. Yeah. let us know that big man. It? I was about to Google cathartic then.
4: Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realise you were at man U, mate, when you, were when you were younger.
5: Yeah, no, so that's where it all started. Um, It's often the case, you know, I think it's been well documented for me, I didn't have the best of upbringings. Um, I wasn't originally born in Manchester. I was born down south. Um, And my mum, she suffers from mental health issues. Uh, A magical woman, an unbelievable lady, but sometimes life does get on top of her. And at the age of eight, you know, me and my younger brother to stop us going in for uh, to social services and care got brought up by my auntie to Rochdale. Um, and within the space of, I'd say, six months, my mum come off the psychiatric ward. She was well. Uh, we started a new life up here. And yeah, Man United came calling. So it's like I had the golden ticket as a kid in a way. Growing up in Bath, you know, everyone I say that and people have been and visited like, Oh, what a wonderful place. No good if you've got no money, you know, very expensive place.
1: Yeah.
5: Um, and we didn't have a pot to piss in. So for, for me, I had to go up quite soon and quite quickly. And then obviously when I start to understand a little bit about what my mum suffers from, um, I had to become the man of the house. But I always felt with football that, you know, once I got to training, once I crossed the white line for an hour and a half, two hours, it was time for me to just do my best to just shut off from what was going on at home. And forget all about it. Yeah, definitely. Because that was the first diagnosis with my mum at the age of eight. But for the last, what am I now, 23 years, she's been in and out of hospital. Um, and then there's other stuff that, you know, you get on top of that and then when you become a parent and a partner and a husband you've got your own life and your own shit to sort out as well. Yeah and I can mm-hmm. imagine
3: sort of 23 years ago it weren't as uh, not well documented but it weren't as as well educated a a problem as what it is obviously now.
5: Yeah 100% so if you say like about my mum or anyone that knows her back then they'll always say Oh, she was just a bit crazy, you know, a real live wire. Um, but there's, there's two sides to bipolar in a way. And it's, it is something that, obviously, we talk about mental health, particularly in football now as well. Um, I've had to learn through life and life experiences. So it's, um, but like I say, it's just that you look at loads of, loads of unbelievable people, that fine margin, between, you know, brilliance, genius and mental health issues, it's touch it's <laughs> yeah. and go.
3: We'll obviously go into it uh, later on, but do you think the fact of the, that you had that really tough upbringing, do you think that helped you when you got your first like, and second diagnosis? Uh,
5: yeah. The uh, mental that, toughness? Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? That's something that is, like, usually the first thing after a talk, like, can resilience be taught? Um, I think it can if you put yourself in positions where you might be vulnerable and you can be scared or you could be potentially embarrassed. Um, So I can have a laugh with the best of them. You know, we've got no shame in taking a mick out myself. Um, But, yeah, mental toughness is something that is massive in anything. You know, we talked about it before we came on about corporate Football, there's so many things, but that mental resilience and that mindset to be able to continue to go on no matter what um, is what sets people apart, I suppose. Who did
4: you come through with, Joe? Like in the when you were 10, 11, 12? Who else was in that age group?
5: Players wise, there was there's quite a few, and it's only when I look back at my career now, starting at Man United, there's only one way you're going, um, and you tend to like filter down the leagues, but there's loads. So the likes of uh, James Chesters was in my team, Tom Cleverley, Danny Drinkwater, Ben Amos, uh, Danny Simpson was a year older than us, Welbeck was a year younger, and, you know, when you're playing tournaments and you're always in and around each other. So for me, when I look back at that kind of academy time, I mm-hmm. learnt so much, not just as a player, but also as a man that I've been able to carry forward with me uh, because it was all about standards. You know, you got that class of '92 ahead of you, and it's just natural for you to dream of, you know, aspiring to be like them. I know my mum was really, really um, reluctant to let me sign for him, knowing the likelihood at some point that I was going to get released, um, and it was going to be my first heartbreak. Uh, but yeah, so many wonderful memories. Well,
4: how did it come about? You you leaving, Joel? What was the what was the, Was it a case of you
5: just not quite being at that level? Um, Fundamentally I have a laugh and a joke now when I go in and speak to some of the coaches is it got to that age group 15-16 where lads shoot up Um, a lot of my game was built around athleticism speed particularly on the wing Similar to mine that Joe Yeah (laughs) But this is what I'm saying, there was there was lads with hairs and beards,
1: and it just took <laughs> hairs, over me. They just,
5: they, just, they just took over. I remember thinking one time in the changing rooms, and looking down at my chest and seeing one of the lads... Uh,
2: I'm glad bed. you said your chest then.
5: Yeah. Joey. <laughs> we weren't even there yet, mate. So that's what I mean, it was uh, quite a deflating experience, but... Training perfectly fine, then going putting it into match practice, not consistent enough. Um, So, physically, I was not developed as well as uh, a lot of them. They even went as far as sending me for a hand scan uh, to project my potential height. Um, And they tell me I'd have been five foot ten. So, I go in now six foot one and have a laugh and a joke with them. <laughs> um, say you got it wrong, but no, it was
3: that and the Angies are, are shite. Sh- <laughs> Sending no? me
5: off to a specialist charging <laughs> a fortune. Um, no, but yeah, it's um something that you have to, you know, learn to accept. It's probably gonna happen at some point anyway. It was just a difficult time at the age of like 16 just before my GCSEs. And I've had all these teachers tell me, you know, keep reading the books, make sure you've got a plan B. And it hit me flush in the face. (laughs) You're always the top boy at school. Everyone wants to say hello to you, see how you've got on and whatnot. And fall from grace. I soon found out who my friends were. Um, It felt like the whole corridors changed on me from getting pats on the back, you know, coming back from tournaments away and how have you got on, blah, 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 to, yeah, we told you less of the cockiness, less of the arrogance. <laughs> yeah.
3: You're one of us so, now. <laughs> <laughs> so so we you, you actually heartbroken?
5: Oh, yeah. I didn't tell anybody for weeks. Um, I remember my mates used to knock on. By this time, they know when I'm training, when I'm not training, you know, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. And, and I would literally just tell my mum to say... Oh, he's got training or he's not very well. Um, I was heartbroken, yeah, no way of getting about it. I was embarrassed. You know, a lot of talk now is about identity and I felt like I'd been stripped of mine. Um, it would always been the tag, Joe Thompson, the kid that played for Man U. Um, and yeah, lost I suppose. Um, I went to various clubs on trial, nothing was quite good enough. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to be at my new where they've done the transition from the Cliff, all the nostalgia, all the names, to going to shiny, brand new Carrington and Pitch Immaculate. And I just remember turning up at various clubs thinking, what's the groundsman been playing at here? <laughs> <laughs> it's a, <it's> a shite. <laughs> Get,
1: Get it like the groundsman over here. So along those lines, John, yeah.
5: <laughs> Particularly as I played on the wing, so I'd always look down the line and i would thinking to myself, Jesus, he's had a few pints last <laughs> night when he's <laughs> gone out and rolled this pitch this morning. I've gone from, you know, Man United winning everything, granted it's nothing to do with me, but you're, you're in and around that environment to then literally falling from grace and It was my PE teacher. My PE teacher at school noticed it as I was going through my GCSEs. He said, what's up with you? And in the end, I confided in him um, and told him. And he said, well, why don't you go to to Rochdale? You know, I get it. Uh, There's loads of clubs that want to look at you, but go and be a big fish in a small pond. Um, And I did, reluctantly. I remember going down to training. Bear in mind, I only lived like 10 minutes from the ground so i passed it so many times but never ever thought i'd even had them when they was at school you know they come in and they're doing a little five-a-side tournament i always say oh you should come down to watch yeah at me. the cliff
1: yeah steady <laughs> <old mate. laughs>
5: you know i, I mean? might
3: play against i might play against you at third round the fa cups
1: yeah
2: any other lad at school, Rochdale come knocking on the door, they're over the moon, aren't they? Oh, massively,
5: massively. Um, and yeah, I, but I had to realise that this is where I was at. And if Rochdale were willing to give me a chance, I was very, very close to falling out of football, as so many do.
2: So did you feel then when you, when, when you got in at Rochdale, were you, were you the big fish in the small pond in, in terms of ability?
5: No, not at all. So again, a quick learning curve. Um, Obviously, like I said, physically, I within the space of, assigned for them YTS. And this is the first time I met Keith Hill. Um, and he was manager of the 16s going into the youth team. And even when I first met Keith, the first time I went down to training, I had my little cubic Zyconian earrings in. <laughs> okay, yeah. And he just went, fucking take them out. <laughs> um, oh nice to meet you mate um, <laughs> like, uh, he's like it's not man, new now I was like yeah I can see that um, and it was like right and then once Steve Parkin was manager oh. of the first team yeah uh, he, he'd obviously got wind and wanted to have a little look as well so I went off with the um, the reserves and with the first team But soon realised, you know, ability-wise, there was the likes of Paddy McCourt, um, Grant Holt, Ricky Lambert. um, (laughs) So you know then straight away, lads in, you know, throughout the league have got bags of ability, but I would think the difference really is up here. Mindset and being able to consistently do it and a bit of luck. So, yeah, it was get to grips with this and get down to hard work. What are you, sixteen? 17, yeah, 16, 17, yeah, yeah.
2: So still, I mean, you're getting there and being chucked into, like, first-team training. You yeah. wouldn't have been doing that at Man United, would you?
5: No, and this was the, this was the conversation that I'd had with, you know, my mum and various other people, like, go and take that opportunity. They've said to you they want to fast-chat you into the, the first team. Um, but, yeah, realise straight away that this is men's football, but I just used to love the first team environment. I used to love the stories. I used to love the boot room was situated in between our changing rooms and the first team. And I was constantly buffing boots just to get a little ear into the stories. I'm thinking, no way, that can't happen. Um, But yeah, soon pans out, 13, 14 years later, a lot of those stories are true. (laughs) How did you find Steve Parkin? Uh, Honest. Loved him, like you say. I just like someone to say how it is. Uh, I know there's a talk about man management and there's a way to manage certain players and a way to manage, you know, others. But, yeah, him and uh, Tony Ford were really good for me. Um, I remember any time I did something, he'd just go, stop, stop, stop. I don't want to say that. I want you to put it in there, Joe. i like, and then he'd do his little demo, shimmy off, uh... And say that's what I want. And I just remember thinking, well, you know, at least he's given me the time of day to, to coach me. And he's not ignoring mm. me. Um, w- so yeah, was that to... when
3: he was that when had he already been at Barnsley and come
5: back? Yes. Or, so he'd already been.
3: You yeah. so be were an absolute prick at Barnsley, mate. Absolute prick. With you. Uh, with me, but with, even with the, the other lads, mate. it came in, obviously, from League Two Rochdale up to yep. the Championship Barnsley, and it came in with his carpets under his arms, you know, fucking little man syndrome, fucking trotting yep. around like, and all that bollocks. And all the other lads, like, they all just fucked him off.
5: They're like, who the fuck's this Brit? It's difficult, <laughs> isn't it? Because I never want to be a manager. Um, but, you know, we know his players, and you will have seen it many a time when a player goes from playing... Back end of his career goes into management and that door shuts, and they go the other side, they get a different color training gear on, and they change. I yeah. think to myself, like, hold on a second, just speak <laughs> to me as a man, you know, you know me as a person. Um, but yeah, no, it's difficult. Isn't it? Managers, I'm sure they'll look back and think, oh, I made a mistake there, I, yeah. I maybe should have dealt with that slightly different. Um, but I don't envy the jobs at all. Did he give you your debut, Mark? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gave me my debut. Darlington, like my full debut, was against Darlington at home. Um, Managed to score, but I started the game absolute beast. Um, My boots had split in the warm-up. I had no other studs. Uh, Scrambling around that boot room where I was buffing, (laughs) thinking, I know someone's got a size nine somewhere. Um, And I ended up wearing a pair of eight and a halfs, Uh, Simon Ramsden's boots Bright white Um, Yeah, standing out
3: Already put pressure on yourself with them
5: Oh, for your debut I remember just thinking (laughs) Looking down thinking Yeah, good luck here mate Um, (laughs) And for the first 15 minutes um, I was getting a bit of stick from the own fans And I scored a header It flew into the bottom corner and my mum was there, my brother was there. And I went like this. Just straight away, my initial reaction was like this. No and, way. Yeah, <laughs> and my mum said, I knew what the message was. Um, and she said, I just went into my chair like, I cannot believe Joseph is doing this.
3: Um, <laughs> for, the, for the audio, by the way, he's giving the old finger over the lips. <laughs> shut, the, shut the fuck up, give me stick
5: one. Uh, in a polite way, just off my back. I'm doing my best. Um, a young 17-year-old <laughs> trying to make my name in the game. Uh, on his
3: full debut in his white boots and he's shushing <laughs> the ground.
5: Yeah. Um, and then I set up Glenn Murray as well and that was me. Kept nerves calm then. I was quite happy with that. You know, we went on and won the game. I think it was 3-1. Uh, and I remember there was a defender. I can't remember his name. In the second half, I think it was called Foster and Alan White. And I remember, you know, as a striker, John, you got that old one and Chris, you go back, you? he stood and just stand on his toe as you're backing in. And he just picked me up, moved me to the side, put me there and went, <laughs> don't fucking do that, kid, that hurt. Uh, and then I was like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? And obviously, scored two, flipping, chest out. said, do that again, mate, I'll flatten you. Ran across him, he just went, bang, my jaw. I was on elbow. the floor, yeah, elbow to the jaw. I was like, wow, <laughs> what is going on here? Shouting at the referee, the referee is none the wiser. Um, I just remember thinking, time to grow up, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Are you feeling part of the first team now? Yeah, it was, uh, like I say, as soon as I was in that first team environment, I would get in earlier, I would do all my work, um, all my stuff, my pre-hab, all of that. And then i just want story time for half an hour before <laughs> training. And then I would take forever after training. I'd get in the gym. Uh, but I knew all this time I'd been super professional. I'd sponge. I wanted to know more. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. And then when I was unable to drive, couldn't afford to drive, so I'd always jump in with the lads to training. Again, story time. <laughs> uh, I just loved it. I loved everything about it. How would you get on with really? Keith
4: Hilk? Because I, I know a few lads from Barnsley and they speak very highly of him.
5: So Keith for me uh, has been, I look at it that now, unbelievable mentor. But every day we'd argue. You know, we would talk about first thing I'd walk in the door, you'd have to walk past his office. He'd have it wide open. He'd seen you come in the car park anyway, really mad on like punctuality and what time you turn up. Um what are those you've got on your feet? And I'm thinking, Keith, you don't know about these IMAXs. Never mind me. <laughs> uh, oh, it is a jacket. He's like, what's that? Young pretender he used to call a lot of us. Um, <laughs> and there was one time where we all went out on a Tuesday night uh, into Manchester. It was, uh, there was about 10 or 12 of us, uh, but the young ones. And it was, uh, what was the night called? Can't remember Tuesday night, you know, no game. Tuesday night, game on Saturday, doing well. Uh, yeah, sack it, let's get out. Um, young, free and single, uh, fancy myself with the girls from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> so get in, and about an hour later, Keith and Flicks turn up walking. David Flickcroft, yeah. yeah. Keith and Flick's walking. Uh, everyone's scarpers. You know, never seen lads shot off as far to the toilet, <laughs> as fast as to the toilet.
2: Well, get, myself the
5: night, in, get, yeah, get myself in this little booth like this. <laughs> oh, Don't geez. got a flat cap on, has he? No, he's not got a flat cap on. This is pre-flat caps. Um, <laughs> and he just went, well, get us a beer then. Uh, bear in mind, I didn't really drink uh, properly. Never, ever. Uh, I was like, sure. He was like, well, what you're drinking there's might as well be pop. I was like, all right, mate, there's your drink gaffer. <laughs> what does Flicks want? Anyway, from then on, we was called the young pretenders. Um, he would always reference every time we make a mistake. It was because we was too busy on a Tuesday night giving it the big one in Manchester. Uh, but, yeah, it was tough. He was a tough taskmaster to say the least. Um, mm-hmm. and he always, always wanted to have a little dig at me, but
2: I think that's great for him, that that's premeditated, and he's found out where you were all going. And he's like that to flick off right, come off. Well, right?
5: This is it, still wanted to know who the snitch was after that, but you know, <laughs> never mind. We thought we had it all under rats.
2: Waltzing in like Travolta.
5: Yeah, that was it. <laughs> and then I know pre after that. He would come, say we were training on a Wednesday, he would come in and go, none of you were out last night. I was like, what are you talking about? He was like, I drove into Manchester, I dipped my head in, I did a little once round and none of you were there. Thinking, what is going on here? you got nothing <laughs> better to do than diving to Manchester on a Tuesday night. Well, you said oh, you got promoted, he left, was it
2: the end of the next season?
5: Yeah, so we fell short twice. You know, we got beat off a good Stockport team at Wembley. Um, he left me out of that squad on that day. Just devastated. The following year, we got beat off Gillingham in like the semi-finals over two legs. And then the third year, we got promoted. Um, and we got picked by a very good Bournemouth team. And obviously, a very, very good Notts County team that were looked after by Svengore and Ericsson. And we were flying up until Christmas, Um, but we just ran out of steam. Yeah, unbelievable times. We managed to nip to Marbella during during pre-season standard. We even got a little cheeky one in January um, where we didn't do any training for four days. Um, But it was like tumbleweed on Port Banoose. (laughs) Couldn't find anyone. For miles, um, and then when just we just keep film so,
2: wandering up and down the strip looking for the party.
5: Yeah, well, as a team, we was <laughs> like, right lads, I just want you to recharge your batteries. You know, got a great hotel, swimming, uh, table tennis, a little bit of football. We'll do some, you know, little knockabout and have a a few uh, rondos and whatnot, um, and try and get the kitty and the whip up. Um, for our night out. So when we do step into Benoose, you get on that corner, as we all know about, nothing. Uh, tumbleweed, rain, an odd police car rolls by. So I think it was myself and Liam Dickinson. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dicko was on loan. He was like, we've got to do something here. You know, the lads are struggling. <laughs> I was like, I know, let's, ring, let's ask a taxi driver what's what. So I asked the taxi driver and he was like, if you go up the Golden Mile, it's a, there's a Spanish night. I was like, right, okay, what's it called? So I said to the taxi driver, I said to the lads, lads, a mile up this road, it's going off. You know, we're going to have to be a, a bit uh, chameleon-like because we're going to stick out like sore thumb. But once we get in there, so we open up these massive doors and there's just a full-on Spanish hip-hop salsa night going on. I remember looking back at the lads, thinking like, this is like something out of Entourage. (laughs) They just went, whoosh! Every one of them just went off in different directions. They were just like, yes. And we'd done on that whole trip with a physical conditioning guy, a guy called Guy Proctor, um, who worked in the off-season at a prison. So, pretty serious guy. He brought this whistle, and any time this whistle went, you had to get, in an army pose that you picked out. You know the little figurines, the little army soldiers that everyone (laughs) used to play with until they started playing Fortnite nowadays. Um, You'd have to do that pose. So whether it was restaurant, airport, nightclub, do the pose. Get to this nightclub. The whistle gets going. Ryan Barry Murphy gets hold of the DJ and tells him what's happening. Um, And it is an unbelievable scene. About a hundred people are joining in. They don't. No one's speaking. <laughs> Everyone's <laughs> blowing the whistle. getting into army pose. DJ plays the tune again. <laughs> Off we go. Um, <laughs> amazing, mate. Like gone from the worst night of my life to the best night. Um, and yeah, everyone was in it. And then we get promoted. Like you say, amazing day. First time in a long time for. You know, anybody associated with Rochdale. Um, to get promoted after those two tough seasons um, was amazing because you know, lads, when you've been promoting, you've been in the playoffs. You've got about three or four weeks off.
3: Yeah. It's, it's hard, isn't it? It's yeah, hard. It's a
5: it, It's a proper slog. Then when you've got Keith Phil still in the orders, <laughs> I just remember thinking not give it a day off. I've barely had a week off here and I'm hearing this voice again. Um, and in preseason, they always used to send me on the 23s off to Kirkham prison to go with this physical conditioning guy. coach. Yeah. With guy or put Kirkham. And I think, yeah, oh, you know, it's will be all right. My dad has spent quite a lot of time in prison. Um, and uh, you know, I don't know how to speak to him. I know how to handle myself, uh, So we get to this prison, drive up there, hour, that's a grind in itself, literally get out of the car, you hear, I'm like, (laughs) holy cow, I forgot about all of this. And he was like, see you, slot. we're going to make Mars bars out of you. I'm thinking, what is going on here? (laughs) All right, would have never happened nowadays, can't happen. Um, And Guy was like, oh, don't worry, big open prison. He said, they won't do anything to you, rah, rah, rah gets us into the gym, we go in the gym, do some weight sessions. So you start after a bit, you know, you've got to do five or six sessions in off season. You start to get a bit of a relationship and a rapport with these prisoners. You start asking them questions, don't you? So what are you in here for, mate? (laughs) Oh, I killed someone. Right, okay. (laughs) How did you kill him? Oh, I just got a slab and smashed it on his head. Right, so you're the guy that is now spotting me with 100 kgs (laughs) on the chest. Do you know what I mean? I think to myself, please, <laughs> please don't have a flashback or, <laughs> oh, do
4: you know what I um, But yeah, it was, Flicker sent me there to do the rehab. Yeah. Guy, right, okay. guy was he was working there full time. Yeah, and and yeah, me and Flicker weren't really seeing eye to eye. So he said, go and do a week at Kirkham Prison.
5: Yeah,
4: and it was unbelievable. The amount of respect the guy had from the from the prisoners. Yeah he killed someone. He was just telling us what yeah, everybody did. Yeah, and yeah, and, yeah. All right, sir. You know,
5: yeah. Brilliant, man. Nah, it's, it's funny you say that, Chris, though, because I thought that and they literally, they give you like, right, five or six sessions coming off season. It's like, yeah, yeah, no problem. Then we're going to go into pre-season thinking we want to maintain, we want to stick on it. You know, we don't want what happened last year to happen again. Yeah, yeah, yeah get that. So I went away to Malia, um, as you do, with the lads uh 15 good, of good us gaffes, good like auntie I yeah it. yeah yeah um that's enough of them stories <laughs> <laughs> um well in the meantime when i didn't go in there was this one lad his body was amazing but like it went like that proper proper prison body but his head as i called it it got smaller and i was calling him pinhead Um, he didn't know that at the time. So they obviously told him while I was away. So when I return and do, you know, my final session at the uh, prison, he comes and collars me as I'm getting changed in the changing room. And goes, are you Joe? I was like, nah, mate, I'm not Joe. He was like, where's Joe? I was like, he's just in the toilet there. He'll be out. Once he's had a shit, he'll come out. That's who you didn't want to be speaking to. Boom, down the corridor. I said, guy, guy, guy. Jimmy Pinhead. He, 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 he's just, just collared me. He's just collared me. He said, Joe's calling him a pinhead. And when he finds out if it's true or not, he's gonna batter him. He was like, so anyway, all the prisoners, the old guy are all in on it, all the other lads, they all start laughing themselves. <laughs> and then this Jimmy Pinhead comes up behind me and grabs me by the neck and goes, If you ever call me a fucking pinhead again, I'll pin you. <laughs> And he said, and like I told you on the first day, I'll make some Mars bars out of you. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. But then a couple of months after that, you know, I'm thinking, I don't want to be going in prison. I've learned the lesson. <laughs> it ain't happening. Um, Jim, Jimmy Pinhead. Yeah. No. He was called Jimmy and his head had got smaller, but it was because his body was just, like, massive. Um, and then I was sat in a Nando's in Cheetah Mill, just outside of Manchester. With my missus, uh, this is like about a year on and comes up to me, this guy, big, massive mixed race guy. I was like, He was like, I know you, donor. And I'm thinking, I know exactly where well I know you from. <laughs> and I thought to myself, well, I didn't call you anything. I didn't do <laughs> anything wrong. Um, he was like, you see that guy, Proctor? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, do you know him? I was like, nah, I don't like him at all, mate. He's an idiot. (laughs) He was like, yeah, that's what I thought. He's a right dickhead. Um, (laughs) Tell him if I see him on the road, I'm going to batter him. I was like, oh, right, okay. Bear in mind, guy's in at Rochdale now. So I go in the next day and go, whoa, guy. Remember this lad? He was like, I do, I do. Not a fan of you, mate. So I had to tell him, though. I told him there and then. I said, you know, guy's a decent guy, you know. It's like, did you fuck? I was like, you're right, mate.
3: I didn't. I didn't. Guys. <laughs> I don't get out to drive. Yeah, I
5: didn't. <laughs> or, I'm just letting you know, if he finds you or he sees you, have your wits about you.
3: <laughs> Jimmy <you>? me That's <laughs> got me that Jimmy pinner
5: <laughs> was... I'd be training with a pro ball in a sock, I think. Wow. This is what you say. So, like, when you... You didn't know where to take the banter sometimes. So, like, sometimes you do a session, a massive weight session, and then they say, right, have a a little, you know, knockabout with badminton rackets. And Bear in mind, these lads are doing this every day, so gym is their life, you know, just to have that hour, hour and a half doing it before they go back to their cells. is their release. So even, like, when you're playing badminton with them, you didn't want to say, like, ooh, that was a bit. Like, do you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) I <laughs> didn't know where to take it. Um, but, yeah, it was unbelievable. But that period for three years, up until we got promoted, um, was amazing. And then we did a year in League One where we did really well. You know, we punched way above our weight. I remember playing Southampton um, and the likes of Lalana, Ricky Lambert, Jose Fonte, all playing in that team. And we beat them 2-0 away and at home. Uh, and in the second leg, I've scored. And like this common theme, as soon as I score, you're going to know about it. Uh, I remember saying to Jose Font, you just be quiet, mate. It's too numb. Uh, He went, 12K a week, bro. I went, <laughs> scrounging here for about 900 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> and it really brought me down to earth. 12k a week, bro. Never mind bonuses. <laughs> I was like, yeah, and they went on to, you know, piss the league and whatnot. Um, it it, it, won't, it
3: won't, did not win the Euros. Did not win the Euros. In, in the Portugal, end, yeah, it? yeah. that's yeah.
5: it. He's gone on and played for, you know, Crystal Palace and had an unbelievable career. <laughs> but some of the memories in the changing room. Some of the memories on nights out. On Chris, you've mentioned Ramas. Ramas took me to Vegas when we got promoted. Uh, I say took me. I got a big, as we do, you get that bonus. And I said to myself, I was just turned 21. I said, I'm waiting. 30th, I am waiting. We're going June 1st. I want to know what's coming in this pot. The pot lands, and I think, this is all going. You know, I've got <laughs> my house. Um, <laughs> my mum, I look after my mum, doing my best for my brother. This is going. Um, lands is about. I think it must have been about 15, 16 grand. So I say, this is going. pro rat. I don't care whether it's right or wrong. I'm taking this to Vegas (laughs) with me. (laughs) Going to Marbella. I'm going to Magaluf. Um, I'm doing it proper. Um, We went to Magaluf first, about 10 of us. Um, We see Torquay there. But bear in mind, Torquay had just beaten us about four weeks prior. Nearly derailed us from getting promoted battered us 5-0, Torquay away, baking up, got Guy Branston at the back, uh, saying to me, if you run down that channel, JT, I'm going to volley you. Like, yeah, all right, Guy. Ran down the channel, boom, I was into about Rose Zed. Um, he said, I told you, I told you, so anyway, we go, we promoted, we're giving it the big I am, Get, see Torquay there for about three or four days. You know how it is, Daiquiri's bar, going back and forth, giving it a bit of banter. In the end, Chris Sobroski um, bangs one of our lads, just twats him in the middle of the strip in Mag- Magaluf. Hyenas, whoosh, everyone's to the calling. Uh, no Guy Branston, so everyone thinks it's safe. We're going toe-to-toe, so, you know, getting to a bit of Are involved? Yeah. So he's swinging me, and I'm like, hold on a second. I duck like that. He rips the shirt off my back. But bear in mind in my in that top bit, that square, as long as it's not happening in the bar, it's just leave you to it, it. Leave you to it, don't they? And so I remember he, he whacked TK, he goes scuttling down the flipping strip like a beetle. He cracks Nathan Stanton, and then all of us just think, no, can't have this. All the other talkie lads start wading in. In the end, we see him off, but then Guy finds us the next morning. And said he'd been on loan to us like, during the season. And he was like, you lot, I fucking hate you lot. You're a pack of hyenas. I was like, yeah, we are. Now we're all together. We fancy taking you on. He was like, <laughs> you wouldn't have done shit to any of them if I was there. And we were like, no, we probably wouldn't, Guy. We probably wouldn't. But, you know, he banged us first. It was all banter, but it got like, out of hand. Um, and then we rolled on to Marbella. Took my baby, stole. <laughs> uh, then, then I'm thinking to myself, I've got Vegas. I've still got Vegas. <laughs> I just met my missus, um, and I just started talking to her. I thought, you know what, this girl, she's proper. She's different gravy. This might be my last little blowout. I don't, I don't know, but I'm gonna go all guns blazing, um, and go to Vegas. And Rammers, who's booked Vegas, he said, just bring your money, JT. You know, the flight's this time. I'll meet you at Manchester Airport. I said, yeah, 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 no problem. Um, let's have it. So we do that. I'd get there, get on a flight. He said, I look at the thing, the return flight when I get my ticket is in 10 days. <laughs> 10 days. I said, Rammers, what are you doing? It's 10 days. I said, I've just met a worldie. I've told her we're going to Dubai Uh, after Vegas. He was like, ah, it'll be right. I said, you don't even know when I booked it for. He was like, ah, don't worry about it. She might not even be the one. I was like, well, we'll see anyway. So get to Vegas, land, get in the limousine. Where do you want to stay, lads? I said, Ramers, what are you talking about? I said, you said you booked everything. There's five of us. He was like, oh, no, 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 no. I just thought we'd get on the strip and pick an hotel. (laughs) So we literally stood at the end of the strip of Vegas near the stratosphere and he goes, which one do you want, lads? (laughs) I was like, you're joking. He was like, nah, I'm not. So we get to MGM Luxor. We got For the first hour and a half, we're going round going, oh, that's too expensive. Oh, no, no. (laughs) We end up at something like, Hotel Tropicana or something like that. <laughs>
2: the, the golden nugget.
5: Where drinks are free. <laughs>
1: um,
5: and and then I start, he starts ringing up like the pro, promoters and t- starts telling me the price of the tables and, you know, with Vegas, it doesn't really matter if there's three of you or 15 of you, the price is the price. But there's only five of us, so I just look at the slot machines and all the uh, tables and the roulette and think, Look at my little Thomas Cup pouch down here and think, (laughs) this ain't going to last me too long. (laughs) So within half an hour while they're booking the hotel room, I've lost a £1,000. Trying to double my money on roulette. And I'm thinking, this is going to be a rocky road. Within five days, we're on the phone call to American Airlines saying, get us out of here as soon as possible. (laughs) Um, Because... 10 days,
3: I think 10 days is actually unachievable in this.
5: Unachievable, suicidal, so unachievable. And in those five days, you've got Rammers goes missing for two days. Um, I don't see him, he, he, got, a, he got a lobster, um, from you know, walking past like a restaurant. Isa there just stuck it in his top pocket, walking around with his lobster in his blazer. Um, <laughs> going to yeah, see. Yeah. Save me 60 quid already. <laughs> so he goes missing for two days and then we're walking around uh, the MGM and you can hear this Sunderland accent and then we're like, that's Rammers. Where is he? You can hear, why are man? Go on. Give me more. Hit me, hit me. I'm thinking, he's somewhere in this vicinity. We get to Rammers, find him, he's with this American guy. He was like, This guy is my new best mate. You lot can fire off. He was like, what are you talking about? We've been searching for you for two days. (laughs) Uh, He goes, he's still got the lobster in the pocket. (laughs) (laughs) Telling you, he stinks. He's not changed his clothes, he stinks. He goes, and then you see his pot on the table. He must have about 20K. And I know that he didn't have 20K when he started. Wherever he went, and he was like, "Look at me, I'm living like a king." He's on blackjack, um, and he goes, "This guy here, every time I've gone bust, he just give me more money." And he said, "This is my last pot; he's got to get off." So I said, "Yeah, it is your last pot." So anyway, he puts his money down, puts a massive whack down, and he's waiting for it. Blackjack comes down, an ace comes down. He goes, "Yes! Why I go on Sunderland? Why I?" I'm thinking. <laughs> Right, we've got to take Ramazir now. We've got to take him out of the way. Um, he's got about 25 grand and he just goes, right, lads, we are going to live like kings tonight. We ended up on a table next to um, New York. It was New York Jets and what's the baseball team? Yankees. The Yankees. Right, Numbnuts, Dumber and Dumber, and me, <laughs> sat in the table with, in the VIP with all these lot thinking we're giving it bigs big spuds. <laughs> he's
2: still got Sebastian in his pocket.
5: Yeah, he's still got the crab there, mate. <laughs> I'm telling you, like it was it's the first time I really drank as well. Um, I remember an old lady put me, put me to bed, pretty much. She put me in the lift and said, you've got to go to bed. Uh, I didn't know what time it was, day, what day it was. Um, and I come home and I've obviously come down off it as you do.
3: That flight back, that back, that's the worst oh. 10 hours of your life, it?
5: Oh, oh. If it wasn't for when I returned from my stag, dude, it's, it's, it just cripples you've done it.
3: Yeah. It then, you get, then, you, then you have three days where you feel like absolute death. Yeah. And then the fourth day, you're thinking, fucking, I wish I were back there. Yeah. I wish I were back.
5: Well, that is it. That is it in a nutshell. Like, you start to evaluate your life, don't you, thinking, how can I potentially move out there? (laughs) What business venture can I do to find myself in Vegas or in and around Vegas where I can just jump on a flight or get a drive down to Vegas? uh... Darrell
4: Russell did it. Darrell Russell bought a house over there. You know, ex-Stoke Norwich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He lives out there. Unbelievable. About 10 minutes from the strip.
3: Thing is, we don't even drink. he don't even drink, though, Rusty, does he? That's the way <laughs> it's, a, it's a waste. An absolute waste. You don't but drink.
5: You probably wouldn't, though, after a while, though, would you? Because it's like, call it Sin City, don't they? Um, and I have makes you or breaks you, I know that. How were you then
2: getting into pre-season after your summer of debauchery?
5: Um, it, was, it was weird because I, I, I was perfectly fine. Um, and then we did really well in League One. And then, like to say, the squad... Because you know, scouts come down and various clubs have showing interest in, in all of us, it, the team got dispersed, it went in different directions. Yeah. Keith moved on up to Barnsley, took quite a few of the lads. Did you get <laughs> by the way, did you
3: get to, did you get to Dubai with your, your yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh.
5: fairy tale now? 10, <laughs> 11 years on, I well, made so you were it from, right
1: then,
5: yeah, I was right. Uh, not right on everything, like, but yeah, um. So yeah, that was our first holiday, me and Chantel, and we're 11 years on now. You
3: went big first time, didn't you? Dubai. Jeez, yeah. like, I mean, you see, you talk you usually talking Loretta de Man, aren't you? All? Yeah, yeah. Bella yeah. Medina. Yeah. Good oh. Medina for four days.
5: You don't <laughs> really want to you don't really want to see too many people as well, do you? In case it goes wrong. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it, uh, I went big and it kind of paid off, I think. <laughs> Probably inspired by Vegas. Go big yeah. or go old. Who got the job after Keith Hill then? Um, Chris Beach took hold of it for a little bit um, and Steve Ayres. Steve Ayres took hold of it. Um, and it's probably a bit too soon. He'd been Academy Manager at Man City. So he brought like the likes of Micah Richards through. So he, he'd done really well. He had your Steve Island at some point as well. But... He found it quite difficult to adjust to first team football and talking to, you know, men instead of kids. Because I remember always thinking when someone answered him back, he would always kind of shy away from the argument. Um, And you know how it is. Did you see that
3: little bit of weakness? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
5: yeah. It is, it's that, uh, well, I think I can can chip away at him. Um, So he wasn't there for too long. it was difficult for him, and then I then moved that following summer. Got a move to Tranmere. Got Ronnie Moore. Ronnie Moore. Um, so I, they, was, that a, was that a good move for you then,
4: in terms of? It wasn't a good leaders. move. It was.
5: It was. They were a league above, try, you know, like trying to get in the championship, and you know you get sold the dream. This is what we want to do. This is where we see you playing. Blah blah blah. And I bought into it. I knew within the space of a week that I maybe made the wrong decision or made it too soon. I had a little girl on the way. I had Lula on the way. So those responsibilities of fatherhood, you just don't know what's coming, do you? And I maybe made that move for financial reasons. Um, But I knew straight away when I went into that, Changing room. It was quite a lot of big egos um, and big characters. And even when I sat down with Ronnie on the day I signed, I remember saying to him, "Like, so where do you see me playing, after Say on the right or the left? You know, sometimes through the middle." Um, and he had his team up on the board, and I said, "Like, I've met everyone, and where's Ian Goodison? Uh, oh, Goodie's in Jamaica. Bear in mind, this is kind of drawing pre-season." I thought, what do you mean, Goody's in Jamaica? He's like, oh, it's Jamaican Independence Day. He's never back before then. Uh, <laughs> and I remember thinking, you, you what? Um, and then Goody came. He never trained. He was always available to play if called upon. Um, but the centre half with the dreads. Yeah. Man, so
3: I'd, a, I'd have had a right fucking do with him once. Yeah, you, you were a bit, you were a nasty bastard, weren't you? Like, yeah, a, yeah, yeah. You're yeah. Like, an off the ball nasty bastard, though.
5: Super streetwise and, yeah. yeah, horrible, mate. Um, and he was like that with us in training. So when he trained, I remember the first time I trained, I tried to turn him uh, and he just come right through the back of me. And he just said, don't do that, Tomo. I was like, wow, <laughs> geez, this guy's not messing about. But, yeah, like you say, when he went on the pitch, um, he was horrible, mate. But, yeah, for my first year at Tranmere, it was... Uh, you just
2: find it difficult to fit in.
5: Found it difficult to fit in, um, found it difficult as a new parent. So I was very, very tired. Um, that travel as well, I thought it was a bit closer, um, but it was a good hour and 20 for me. Um, and that messed me up because I started to have problems with my hamstrings and uh, it was too much driving. You know how it is, the pressure, You've got to be back home. There was no chance I was going to stay there with a newborn at home. Trying to help out as much as possible. So yeah, difficult to fit in. So it was uh, first year was quite difficult, but then when I went into that second season, I wanted to prove, you know, my worth. I wanted to show the fans. I didn't. I thought they'd seen fits and starts, little uh, bits of what I can do. And you know, the fans on the wheel, they love their football. They know their football as well, um, and they're coming in their droves. Uh, to watch Travelmere because they're kind of seen as the smaller club to the Liverpool and the Everton. And, um, it's like yeah. their own
3: community, isn't it? It like is not the its The world's their own community away from yeah, that
5: Liverpool. Yeah, yeah, don't tarnish us with the same. Um, so, yeah, it was second season. I, I, remember I went away for a week and then I was just in the gym. I uh, started battering it and wanted to prove a point.
2: I'm right in saying that obviously your your first diagnosis comes in 2013. Yeah. So you you're talking about being tired and new dad and everything. Should, I'm imagining there's a there's a buildup of of that diagnosis. Yeah. Coming to a head that is a, playing a big part of you being tired and not feeling yourself.
5: Yeah. Um, and it was only so it was October 23rd 2013. Is that your second
4: season? Sorry, Joe. Going into the
5: second season, yeah. So playing, flying, man of the matches, teams watching me, bang, all come crashing down within the space of a week. Um, Some lumps popped up in the left-hand side of my neck. And like I say, I was feeling very tired, but I was just putting that down to training and new dad. uh, The club doctor, credit to him, sent me off for a biopsy straight away to find out what, These lumps were in my lymph nodes, and within the space of four days, sat across the desk from a specialist with my wife and my little girl in the pram, and yeah, he just told me I'd got cancer, and I was 23 now, Um, so within two weeks, literally my life just got flipped upside down.
3: So, like, do you know in that in that four-day period from getting? the, the biopsy to your results. Yeah. What are you thinking? Nah, it can't be that. I'm only
5: 23. Surely yeah, it can't be that. That's it, John. And you think as a footballer as well, young, fit, healthy, pride myself on being a good person. Not me. Um, they mentioned it in conversations, but I thought it was glandular fever. Um, but then once the doctor told me that and told me the symptoms and certain things, that come with cancer. I was ticking every box, and then he said, "You know, you've had it for possibly two to three years." So I was like, "Wow, um, no wonder it felt like I was playing on a travelator at times." Mm. Um, so it was uh, really tough to get my head around. And then, you know, my wife burst into tears. I burst into tears. Uh, I remember then looking at my little girl. And, you know, parents, you do. You, I saw all the little moments that I could potentially miss. So it was like bangs, like seeing her, you know, get a GCSEs, getting her a first car, buying her a first house, um, wedding, or, you know, grandkids. And, and then I just remember coming back into the room and stupidly and naive for me, I, I said, so all right, what's the script? You know, you've told me that trying to be the big I am again in front of my missus and trying to look like the, the rock of the the family. I said, so I'll be back in what? Tell me the treatment. He said, you've got to do 12 rounds of chemotherapy every two weeks for six months. I said, right, okay, no problem. Didn't have a clue what was come with chemotherapy. Um, you're going to have it on a young oncology unit at the Christie's over in Manchester. Um, uh, and I said, So I'll be back then, uh, April. I'll be back. I'll get there back end of the, the footy season. I'll be back out there. Um, and then he just said, No, young man, you need to realize that your career is finished. And that uh, if you don't do something sooner rather than later, you know, your life might be over. Because I was at stage 4S, so the stage of the actual Hodgkin's lymphoma uh the cancer of my immune system was very very far um and was showing you know serious signs of being quite aggressive. So even though you'd had that initial
2: you'd you'd taken on board the bigger picture. Yeah. Your initial defense mechanism was just to go back to football.
5: Yeah. It's everything I've always known. It's normal. Um, it's it's like I say it's where I run to escape um through you know Past, uh, it's normal like Chris says. There, I just know for ninety minutes when I cross that white line, I do my best to block out everything. Uh, it gives mm. me something that I can, you know, distract me in a way. And when he told me I'd have it for three years, I was just like, oh, from the age of twenty, um, you know, I've dreamt of getting up these leagues and playing as high as possible and for 3 years i've had something fundamentally really seriously wrong with my body mm. so it was just like wow um
3: did you did you do you know when he told you the news of right you you've got cancer you've got that shock yeah and then obviously not long after he then told you that your football career is over yeah so which which one I, I
5: just
3: thought. I, I just thought. What do I have now? Yeah, which one? Which one scared you most? Is that, uh, do, you know, do you understand what I mean? Yeah, you, no. It's like it's like, a, it's like a double whammy, isn't it? But right, you've got you've got cancer. Right. Well, I can get over that, but I don't mean that in a flippant way. You know what I no, mean? No. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to deal with that. I, yeah. I can get over with cancer, but then I'm not able to play football as well. Yeah. Must have been like fucking Jesus Christ. That's like that's like fucking a double whammy.
5: Yeah, and it was. Because I come from nothing, and I just thought, oh, wow, I have nothing. And then I look left and right, and I've got people that I need to provide for and look after. So I was fortunate in a way that I had another season at Tranmere, but that was chalked off now. So I remember when I told them, and I told uh, the owners at the time, I say at the time, because it's all changed now, (laughs) and I told Ronnie Moore, When I rang Ronnie uh, and I told him what the doctors had said, he was like, well, you know, if you need a little bit of Ronnie, love, you know where I'm at. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember remember thinking, fucking hell, Ron, I need a little bit more than Ronnie, love, at this moment in time.
3: (laughs) <laughs> it's, lo- it's lovely off a rock,
5: but I'm going yeah. to do a little bit more, mate. Yeah, but it, it's that whole football mentality, isn't it? Like, yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll get past that, you know, we'll just get on with that. That's what we do. Um, but yeah, um, and then I remember being at home when they announced it and I sat watching Sky Sports and it come on that yellow banner. And that's when it really hit home when I heard Jeff Stelling say it and I should have been playing football. And I was sat at home, obviously, um, distraught and lost. And you have to have a little bit of a period before you actually start the treatment. Well, I did that that time. And that's the worst period, that wait and see. You feel like you're sitting up, being shot at with, with no armory or no shield in a way. And you're just waiting to start the treatment. And that anxiety is, um, is healthy.
3: Mm. Why how, did, how how would you, why you have, to
5: have that period? Sorry, Brownie. Why would why do you have to have that period? Could, would you not for just more tests? Me? Right. Uh, for more tests, more scans. Um Yeah, and you know, handover. It's something that I think now will be, particularly in this current time. Now, anybody that's struggling with you know cancer or going through treatment with everything that's going on now, that anxiety must be. unbearable because the nurses and the doctors are doing everything they can and as quick as they can but at the end of the day so many people are struggling so it's just all hands on deck, all hands to the pump and it's been amazing to see everyone applauding the NHS and the NHS getting the recognition Um, and then when I spoke to Tranmere and told them I said to him I'm going to go down the NHS route but just remember I could have gone private and it would have cost the club, a fortune, blah, 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 blah. Um, And then once I get over the treatment after six months um, of, it was tough, but physically I dealt with it quite well. Um, I'd go in on a Monday and have treatment. And if I could go home on the Tuesday or the Monday evening, um, once the chemotherapy had finished, I would do. But the one thing I really struggled with was the the mentality side of it and the mindset because I was on a young oncology unit, so sometimes I'd be sat on a ward across from a six, seven-year-old kid. Um, and yeah, it just as a parent as well, I felt that like I could empathize and sympathize with the parents because they would swap with that child in a heartbeat mm. um, and the kids knew my story. They knew a little bit about it because it had been in, you know, documented and in the papers. And I'd always go in trying to be the flag bearer and the beacon of hope. Uh, but that itself was quite tiring as well. Check it.
4: Yeah.
5: As the treatment went on, the smiles and the laughter uh, soon leave you.
4: How did you overcome that? Then fears of the treatment, the side effects of the treatment, and the possibility of, of dying.
5: Ah, uh, mate, Chris, it's something I still have to deal with now. I wouldn't say you ever overcome it. You know, I talk about it in talks now that I probably bear psychological scars that you might not see. Um, but there's a lot of things that I've seen and I've been through um, that, you know, have shaped me. I try not to let it define me. I try not to give it too much energy. Um, and I'll always say, like, laughter who you surround yourself with, um, what you watch um, and trying to be, you know, live a positive life as possible. Nutrition um, and food and what you eat helps you massively. So how, were, how did you miss, it? How were you miss this? Um, I she... go and do talks and, you know, I'll go and be the inspiration to a room full of people, a conference, whatever. Mrs is a soldier, mate. You know, I owe her my life. No getting away from that. Um, Because she looked after the house. She looked after me. She looked after my little girl. Um, And I often say the one that suffers the most is the one that's closest. Mm -hmm. So she watched it all. She was at every appointment. Every time I'd have chemotherapy, she would be with me or my mom or my brother, whoever. She was, yeah. She was just. She went through it all, apart from feeling the actual side effects.
3: Mm.
5: How did you deal with support?
2: Yeah, I just because I think being in that situation, obviously, it's a very personal thing, and everybody deals with things in different ways. And you had the, all the support behind you, the fans, and but I can imagine sometimes you just want to be away from it. And it, obviously, from an outside perspective, everybody wants to support you.
5: But Amazing. Yeah yeah yeah. Off sometimes. Yeah, so in the middle of the treatment I went to uh I went to a tramway game they were playing Preston at Deepdale and it was the first time they did the minutes of applause for on the 7th minute number 7 and I remember it being overwhelming and started crying. I didn't make a hoo ha that I was at the game and I was going to be there. Um and I remember the whole stadium clapping. Uh I remember crying and that's when I thought this is going to be quite overwhelming because you've been brave and you've been courageous, you know, to speak up and talk about your problems. Uh, and it's out there in the open and the footballing world has, you know, really rallied round and the phone calls from your Paul Scolzes, your Brian Robsons, you know, real class acts that have played high up in, you know, the game was amazing but then sometimes, like you say, there was times where I just wanted to shut off and hide away. Oh, yeah, and yeah. Um, so it was. I'm forever grateful for the support, um, and it was amazing because I always think going to war here with cancer with an absolute army behind me, um, and yeah, it was unbelievable that feeling. But it also came with quite a lot of pressure. Mm. I've got to get through it. I've got. I've just shown everyone. I'm documenting. I'm talking about it. I've got to get through it. So you come through the battle, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you when you hear that news, relief. Um, understatement. Uh, six months. Um, I remember thinking twelve rounds like a boxing match, and the last one it's knockout. Who wins? Um. And when the doctor told me that, I thought, yes, uh, I could finally get my life back on track. Um, my wife was there again, so, you know, I could see the relief on her face. And, yeah, get back to playing football. Was it still <laughs> a priority, Joe? Was it football was, it, a priority? Well, once I got that sorted, yeah, it was. Um, I didn't have anything else. It was like with my missus. Because Lula was only one, she wasn't working. So I just thought I had to get myself back to work as soon as possible. Um, and I remember within a week of being told I was in remission, I then got the P45 through the door of me. Oh, wow. Ooh, yeah. Uh, that's, not, that's not Ronnie Love, is it? That wasn't Ronnie Love. Ronnie has been <laughs> sacked by this time. And that's why I said previous owners to the ones now because that spoke volumes for me. Um, and I, had, I didn't say anything initially. And then I told people that I was in remission. And I had all the, you know, the Tramiv fans who had been unbelievable and supported me were saying, well, when are you back training? And I think I put out a tweet saying something like, you can't sign a line that's not there. And I didn't really want to get too much into it, but I'd obviously just received this P45 And not been told anything, off anybody. Um, I thought I'd go in and do three months rehabilitation, and we'll see how we get on. Um, Mm. But I saw the ruthless side of football. You know, I was getting paid good money at that time at Tranmere, and for that second season, I'd not really played at all.
3: Not really your fault, though, was it? (laughs) No, it wasn't my fault. Not really your fault. You know what I mean?
5: (laughs) What What emotion like rides through there? Anger. Yeah, a hundred percent. Um, but I didn't know who to be angry at, uh, because it's just, you know, a letter had literally come through. I then open it up, uh, then read it out to the missus. And I was like, shit, I've got to get my, uh, running trainers back on here. So I just hit the road like Rocky, uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> a little bit skinnier and, uh, a little bit gaunt and a little bit, uh, bolder than Rocky and whatnot. So, I just yeah, did it on the night time, hood up, run the roads. I didn't live too far from like uh Manchester and Salford, so I just do the general circuit. Um and then I remember my agent like be buzzing for me and he was like, But well, we've got nothing, mate. I said, Right, okay, well I'm trying to get my fitness up. So you just keep on the blower, see how you get on. Uh, no one wanted to touch me with a barge pole because they didn't know, you know, how much. Treatment had affected me and thankfully for me, my old assistant manager Dave Flitcroft had now taken over at Berry and he said that he wanted to have a look at me and to be ready for July the 1st Uh, and I made sure I was, but I was in agony every day. Don't lose faith in humanity. At that point. Cold world, isn't it, At times, you look at like everything that's going on now. Um, I wouldn't say lose, Especially the babe. football
3: world as well. The football oh. world's even worse than
5: yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Because I'll always say don't let the negative define, you know, if you want to find positives, they're there, but at that time that was a kick in the balls <laughs> massively. What? Yeah.
4: What were you in agony through? Was it just being back to it and
5: the pounding, yeah. So to look at me the first time round. I'd not lost too much weight but I was very pale uh but actually my body was quite hollow the muscle wastage you think about it you don't do anything for 6 months um and all the treatment as well uh was yeah it was tough and I did the first day at Berry, and you heard a do do I'm thinking, shit. Here we go. Here's we know the what's test. coming here. Yeah. we know uh, what's for, coming. Don't be the first one out. Don't be the second one out because we know the second one's always the one looking over his shoulder, <laughs> um, waiting for the first one to drop out, which is usually a goalkeeper. And I'm you, it wasn't me, mate. It was oh, me. <laughs> I didn't say that. You said it. <laughs> <laughs> but even that, it's like. I just remember thinking, finished middle of the pack. I got on the bed after it and the the physio started getting into my quads and he started with his thumbs and then he looked up at me and he just went, what the fuck's going on in here? And I was like, I know, mate. Like, they're supposed to be smooth. And it was like fucking rocky. It was in agony, but it was all the toxins, all the chemo, all the scar tissue. It, I was just like, "What a tin man!" I was barely a man, and I needed to be put together every day to get out on the training pitch. I Had you signed it? Uh, was it like a, a I
4: trial?
5: Did a week's, I did a week's trial, and then they gave me a year. Um, but for the first for that year, it was stop start, uh, niggly injuries. Do you think you needed a year
2: to get back to anywhere near fitness? Eighteen reality? months.
5: Yeah, yeah, eighteen months. So, fast forward now, I then got released from Berry. I had a fallout with flicks um, over. It was initially, it was nothing to do, but it got personal. So, he did what he did to you, Chris. He banished me off with the youth team. Uh, It didn't bother me. You know, I didn't mind being in around the kids trying to help them. And. He made me do some awful sessions at ridiculous times, but I was 15 minutes away from the ground, um, you know, trying to squeeze you out, which happens all the time. So I then found myself I had nothing again, but this time I'd, we'd set up a business um, in the beauty industry and in salons. So money this time wasn't really a concern, but I still wanted to play football. I didn't think, you know, I'd given everything. And I remember playing five-a-side tournaments with my mates. And bear in mind when we play five-a-side up in Manchester, you get the likes of your Micah Richards. Your Ravel Morrisons, uh, Danny simpsons It's it's a good standard. Is that the GGB thing? Is it the GGB? Yeah, in the Soccer Dome. It's a good standard where lads have (laughs) gone on and won proper trophies. I never um, even got called
4: up for that, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I
5: never even got a game. You made me lived a bit too far, that's all. Um, <laughs> that's what I keep telling myself. <laughs> it's uh, a good standard. So I played five-a-side and then I got a phone call off Keith Curl, who was manager up at Carlisle. And he said, do you fancy coming up to Carlisle? I was like, when are you thinking? Bear in mind, just play five-a-side. Literally sat in an ice bath. Um, it's like tomorrow... I was like, can we do Wednesday? He was like, <laughs> fuck off. I was
1: like,
5: who are you talking to here? He was like, I'm offering you a, a chance to get your football career back on track. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll see you tomorrow then. And then I looked at the map. I put it in and it said two hours to get up there. I was like, oh, what's <laughs> going on here? I'm going to have to get up at like six o'clock and get up there, get some breakfast. Um, but. Even then, six months at Carlisle, stop start. He gave me more games. He gave me more opportunities. But I really warmed to Keith uh, because he, he'd obviously done his homework on my story. He, he knew what made me tick. Um, he even went as far as we went to uh, the Lake District in pre-season to do a thing called Cassie's Camps, where he told you, get up at six o'clock in the morning. Get to the Lake District and all these black army vans and like, you know, Discoveries are flying everywhere. And there's all these like guys in black army gear. Um, and they just, drop your bags, lads. We're here to work. I'm thinking, fucking hell, Keith, where have you got us <laughs> here? Um, and put us through hell. Literally put us through hell. Really pushed us to the limits. Took us out of our comfort zone. And I felt at the time... That they were picking on me, that they were probing to see. They knew they'd done their own work. They were seeing. All right, you've been through all of this. Have you still got the balls and the metal in a way to to stick with it when the going gets tough? Um, and there's a like one, SAS program. Yeah, it was. It? it was like that. It was like that. And it was like, right, we want you to swim to that buoy over there. I was like, I can't swim. I was twenty five, twenty six. Couldn't swim. Um, it was like, well bang, there's the life jacket. I said, to that boy over there, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) In that lake, he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking, it's freezing. (laughs) Uh, Took me, it felt like a lifetime after morning to get to and from the boy. And then after it all, they sat us down and, you know, they told us why they'd done certain things. And it was all about, you know, mindset and mentality. And they just said, Keith sat either side of me and the other guy sat either side of me and I thought, you know, when you think, hey, what's going on here? And he was like, you can't swim. I said, no, no, no. Ne- you know, Never had a dad in my life. Never been really taught how to swim. Um, didn't really happen at school. Uh, can't swim. He's like, but you've got a little girl, aren't you? I was like, yeah, yeah. So what happens if she drowns? I was like, okay. And then from then on, Every Monday, he'd make me go to the, the DW around the corner and practice swimming after training. Sometimes he'd even be sat there um, just in the... Um,
3: not I in know. a lifeguard. Not in a lifeguard. Nah, not in a lifeguard. <laughs> he, he would have
5: fancied being in a lifeguard gear because he still got it, to be fair to him. Um, but, yeah, he was like, just checking. Um, but he was really, like, anal and, like, detail and everything needed to be ordered in the right order, organised. Um, but yeah, just those like, types of things. So then at the end of that season, when I sat down with him, he said, look, I can offer you a contract. I uh, wasn't on great money now at all. Um, but I don't think you want that because I can't guarantee you a start. I just shook his hand and said, you know what? Thank you for being honest because we know in football, sometimes they dance around the houses. Um, and don't just get to the point and I said, you know what, I'll go we'll go separate ways. I've got a wedding to organise in a beef. Um, thanks for being honest, and I'll deal with whatever comes after that wedding.
4: Where was your determination levels at at this point? You know, you've had a, a rough couple of years since then on like with your football and stuff. Did you not just think I was getting I'll to that? Point. A
5: yeah. I was getting to that point, and I felt like that was what I was gonna do after the wedding. Going to enjoy my wedding, enjoy the stag do, enjoy my wedding, and just see what's what. Good wedding? Amazing, amazing wedding. Um, went to Vegas, returned to Vegas
1: <laughs> for my stag
5: do uh, with a load of mates. We nearly missed a flight on the way home. Half of them were buzzing. And I was thinking, <laughs> oh, no, 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 no chance. I've got to get back to Manchester. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, so, how, how long after the wedding and everything? Do you, look, do you get your return to, to Rochdale?
5: About three weeks. So I went in at Barrow. Um, I remember my agent again saying, look, we've been here before, mate. There's nothing really coming. I was half resigned to finishing football. And then Keith Hill rang me. And again, I was sat in a restaurant um, with my wife and my little girl. And said, are you playing at being a footballer? Or do you want to be a footballer? I was like, what do you mean? He was like, I can hear you in a restaurant. He said, but where's your wage next, w- next month? I was like, oh, all right, Keith. All right, Keith, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and he was like... I've got a fucking eat, Keith. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, getting onto that, John. So he was like, um, get yourself in here tomorrow uh, and I'll have a look at you. I was like oh, I did not even know where my boots were. I was like, right, okay. You didn't didn't put the earrings back on, did you? No earrings, no earrings. (laughs) But I still went in with rascal gear, stayed true to myself. (laughs) Um, And he was like, here he is. He's overcome cancer. He got the elephant out of the room straight away. All the lads were like looking at me and all like I'm flipping Robocop or something like that. (laughs) Um, And it's, it's brilliant for me to just be back in and around the same environment I did did really well. Uh, I was really hungry. I felt like, yes, someone put their faith in me and I'm going to repay that. And then he offered me a contract. He offered me a deal for 500 quid a week. And I remember seeing it. He was like, I can offer you, here's your deal. Slid it across the table. League one, doing all right. Uh, I was like, Keith, talk about playing at being a footballer. Talk about (laughs) being hungry. I said, I will be hungry. It's going to be beans on toast at this rate. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I sheepishly took the contract away from the table and was like, just double check this. I said, well, what I'll do is I'll run it by my agent uh, for, for, yeah, with a £100, bo- £100 bonus. Wow. Um, I think is not going to get covered here. Um, and I got in the car and drove round uh, out the ground and my agent ran me and was like, he's offered you a deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Only for peanuts, though, Gaz. Uh, He was like, where are you now? I said, I'm in the car. He was like, turn back round. So I then rang my missus and went, he's offering me a deal for like peanuts. She went, turn back round. (laughs) I went, "Ah!" right round the roundabout. (laughs) Went and signed a deal. He was sat there laughing. He was like, if you show me what you've shown me in this last week, I will reward you with a new deal in due time. But at this moment in time, I'm taking the risk on you. So, I you get like, that yeah. as
4: well.
5: Yeah. I said, I when it that. said, I was like, fair enough. He said, you've played since you've overcome it, or you've played 20 games um, and X amount have been sub appearances. I was like, he said, so it's about not proving me wrong, it's about proving yourself right. And I was like, yeah. So that was he offered me a six-month deal, but he rewarded me with a new deal after three months. Um,
3: Did you have that trust in him to do that? Did you trust him enough to know that he weren't just blowing smoke up your ass? If I do well for him, he will give me a new deal?
5: Yeah, because that had been the case prior. Um, He tried to take me a few times to Barnsley and it had been stopped um, when he'd gone to the Championship. So I, I knew that he would always give me a chance. But if I didn't give him my all, then, you know, he'd look me dead in the eye and he'd release me in a heartbeat. Um, mm. But it was that firm handshake, man to um, man, yeah. eye to eye, yeah.
2: 27 games that season. Did you feel back?
5: In the end, yeah. So, 27 games, but that was up until pretty much Christmas Eve. So, we're talking... Two and a half, three years on now from that initial diagnosis, and I still have to go to the hospital for checkups. And I said to Keith, You know, I've got to be in at the Christie's on Friday morning. No, we've got a game boxing day. Um, he was going to give us Christmas Day off. And that day didn't go to plan. Uh, I went in in the morning, had my scans, had my tests, and then the, the hospital and the professor told me that the cancer had come back. So. The feeling then that I felt was anger because I just wanted to smash the room. Up. I thought i would gone through this time, all of it. Or? No, I was in my missus oh, yeah. again. Right, sir. So, um, right. But I just she was because she was coming with me. In regards, she was going to drop me off at training. Uh, I had everything, you know, my wash bag, all of that set. I was just going to do this, get to training as soon as possible. Train, starting boxing day, um, and I then had to ring Keith in the car to tell him that I wasn't going to come to training and I just burst out crying Uh and he said yeah yeah no problem just leave it with me Uh, but make sure you pop in after training um and come and see us. So I know now after speaking to the lads it was the worst training session for them because they were getting missiles rockets grenades from all angles and they didn't have a clue you know talk about Christmas spirit and Scrooge and whatnot. I think Keith would have been more than a, a bear with a sore head. Um, and then I went in after, and some of the stragglers were still there. And they had obviously caught on and realized what had happened. And, you know, I remember speaking to Jimmy McNulty um, and crying and, um, comrade logan and kelvin andrews and some of the other lads that were in there and i just said look lads soldier down and you know when you're in the trenches i'm going to need you to to pull me through problem was this time around with the second diagnosis is i had one tumor one tumor in my chest uh but it was of the same cancer whereas first time around was watermelon sized masses of tumor i was riddled But one tumor. So I said, Well, when I come down off it, I was like, Well, can we not just take it out? Like, biopsy operation. It was like, No, we'd paint this room red. Um, You're going to have to undergo more treatment, stem cell transplant in isolation. And what we want to do is we want to do a wait and see period. So for three months, we literally did wait and see. So I played, I carried on playing from Christmas Eve to just before my 29th birthday march uh playing obviously all my teammates knew everyone at the club knew but no one ever said anything to anybody else
2: is that your your decision just to keep it under wraps
5: yeah under wraps a bit different this time under wraps Mm. and then i told everybody again and it got out and i literally flew off to thailand for three weeks because it was always somewhere where i wanted to go with my family um, and I didn't know whether it was going to be my last holiday <laughs> and the doctors then when they found out when they rang me was like you drew in in a week's time where are you why do we hear a foreign ringtone so oh, I'm in Thailand <laughs> they was like are you kidding us Joe uh, I was like no I'm in Thailand um, obviously it's of my immune system as well they was like have you had the Ezekiel have you had that jab have you I said no I've just come to Thailand because I wanted to clear my head I wanted to enjoy these two or three weeks with my family. Um, and I've got myself in the best physical condition to deal with it. Now I've got to get myself in the right frame of mind mm. to deal with what's going to come. i must have been the right puffy, for, you man. know, like, my nearest like. and dearest, like, why me? And then I sat across before I had a scan, before I went into isolation, and I sat with a guy that had been made redundant uh, he had no form of transport, he had no family members, no support. Uh, and I said, w- w- why us? And he just said, why not us? Um, and I then I thought to myself, yeah, why not us? You know, cancer doesn't discriminate. Um, young, old, black, white, whatever job, it do not discriminate. Um, and the harsh reality of it is, is it affects one in two, one in three. So I just remember thinking, if any of my family are going to have it, I'll take it on the chin.
4: Did you deal with it better the second time, in terms of you knew what was coming? Did you kind of...
5: No, because all the feelings and uh, worries and anxiety all come flooding back. And mm. because I felt like I'd gotten over it the first time, I was, yeah, the world was in disarray. And like I said, I knew I was going to have to do all of this and I was going to have to spend some time in isolation, in literally in a room on my own. I talk about isolation. They'll say you'll be in there for six to eight weeks. So prior to that, I was to have two cycles of chemotherapy for 24 hours for six days solid, and then I'd go home, and then I'd do that again, and then I was going to have to go in isolation. And at the time of the second cycle, I was in the Christie's, hooked up to the machine, and the roof set fire. And the roof set fire on my level, and the doctors and the nurses are trying to, you know, keep it all controlled and whatnot. And fire engine's outside. I'm sat this time around opposite, like, four grown men, whereas first time around I was on the young oncology unit. And they were going, fucking hell, there's a fire coming. And I'm looking at this machine thinking, I'm hooked up 24 hours here. There's no So I said to the nurse, what happens if this fire keeps coming this way? She was like, oh, we'll put you in that lift. It's a fire lift. We'll get you down to the foot. We'll have you out. I said, there's no chance, nurse. I will fucking rip off all these wires, all these kind of drips and whatnot, and I'll get my trainers on, and I'm down the stairs before you know it. Um, And they managed (laughs) to put it out. But I was just thinking, this is just crazy. And now I've got this isolation. And then I sat down with a professor. He said, six to eight weeks, you're going to be in this room. Um, I said, straight away, football mentality. Well, what's the quickest someone's come out? He said, I've known someone to come out after 22 days. I said, leave it with me, mate. (laughs) Um, I maybe didn't understand what I was going to have to go through in the the coming weeks. um, But it's literally now, it's, it's popped up now. So... Three years ago, now, I was in isolation. Um, we talk about isolation now, what we've all been told to do. Piece of piss for me. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> stay so, at you're in old, old, old hand at this, aren't you?
5: Yes, yeah, stay at home yeah. um, in your, your comforts and whatnot. Um, that's where I changed my diet. I changed my diet overnight, went plant-based, went vegan. Um, I had to strip it all because I did a load of research into Tumors, acidity, alkaline, and all of that, um, and thought that's going to work for me. Um, and yeah, it was hell, hell on earth. Talk about nearly breaking. I think it was. I went in on June the first, and day ten, after being given seven days of like potent treatment, you you hit a brick wall. And you know because the doctors and the nurses are asking you constantly how you're feeling, how you're feeling in every hour. Cleaning down the room, disinfectant, checking all the drip, blood transfusions, platelets. And for three days, I just bombed out. Didn't have a clue. But I, will always say, I was so so tired because you know I was really scared of. I was scared of going to sleep and not waking up.
3: You used to stop yourself going to sleep.
5: Yeah, uh, and you you you, your body. Because the, the temperature in the room doesn't change. I remember the window could have been a picture for all I care. Uh, everything's regulated. Any infection can be fatal. Because what they do is they strip your body down to nothing. So you've got no platelets, no you know, antibodies to fight off anything. So your visitors are few and far between. Um, and all the time, I spent my first wedding anniversary in there. Broke my heart watching Love Island with my missus, and they're all telling each other they love each other after 10 days, and I'm thinking, fuck off. (laughs) Um, You don't understand what that is. We've been at the end of the altar through sickness and health and all that, and here we are. Uh, Father's Day was coming up. Uh, My little girl was sending me, you know, FaceTimes and little voice notes and all that. Uh, So I just said, uh, they... After 13 days, after i hit that brick wall, uh, I woke up one morning. I was in the corner shivering. Uh, I lost all my hair overnight. Uh, I'd lost three and a half stone within these two weeks. And I just said, I need my little girl. I said, I don't care what you doctors think, I need to see. I just need to remind myself of why I'm going through all this pain and agony. And yeah. Said so to me, Mrs. Binger, in after school, she got this little card that she wanted to give to me. Um, Said, so "Don't tell the doctors. Just turn up with her. I know that no one under ten should be anywhere near this room, but I just need fifteen minutes with her." So she come in. Uh, she obviously was quite shocked by how I looked, um, and she checked all the machines, checked the stethoscope, gave me some grapes, made sure you know I was drinking some water. And then as kids do, to say how it is, she said, Daddy, you're going to die. And that was breaking point. Can't give her the honest answer, but one thing I can do and what I try and instill in her is as long as you give it your all, it don't really matter. Um, so I just said, well, baby, I'm going to give it my best. And, you know, fingers crossed, wish me luck, and we'll just get through it. And she left... Uh, gave me the card I had a little cry to myself and within three days of that uh, my energy levels my blood levels all shot through the roof granted I was able to keep a bit of food down but just from having that 15-minute chat with my missus and my little girl um, because I rang Chantelle the night before she was coming in and I said to her don't talk too much about what daddy's looking like you know just gonna say we're gonna go visit him and then in the the morning of coming to visit me she said that Lula had wet the bed so she's five now um so she's obviously wet the bed because she's worried um and she said she'd noticed a little gray hair had popped up in her head and she was obviously stressed and concerned I was thinking five-year-olds with gray hair wetting the bed like what is going on here I need to get myself back out. Because fundamentally, my number one job, and I, and I say it to anyone, is to be a dad, best dad possible. Not, I've not had a dad, so I know what it feels like not to. So I wasn't going to allow my little girl not to have a dad, just because of this illness. And it wasn't going to define me. I was going to overcome it. But fifteen minutes saved my life. It was tipping point, mate. i know, nearly through the toweling, um, hallucinating. Like I say woke up. Um, in the corner. Every time I'd have a shower, I'd be violently sick. I was in a bad, bad place. Did it,
3: did it, ever, did it ever affect your relationship with your missus? Did you ever sort of snap
5: at her or out like that? Or uh, One time. Only one time. But it's it's only it's weird, because we say this, we've only got stronger throughout it. But one time I snapped at her, just before I started the treatment, before my 29th birthday. Because... My family, we'd gone for some food and my family were complaining that, you know, it hadn't come quick enough. And I just, I hit the roof with all of them. And I snapped at Chantel when I shouldn't have. <clears throat> um, and I remember dr- I, she was driving and I, I punched the dashboard, but as I punched it, I dislocated my <laughs> finger <laughs> and I went, stop effing moaning about like food. I don't care. Like that might've been my last birthday mm. meal. So she was like, yeah, no, I totally understand that. And I looked at my finger and it was (laughs) over there. And I went, no, I just snapped it (laughs) back into place. But no, we only got stronger from it. Um, And there's never a moment where I thought, you know, she's going to down tools on me. Um, Never a moment where I thought she's just in this to get me through it. And then we go our separate ways. No, we've only got stronger. You know, we've got businesses together. Don't argue. Um, and the thing is, it just puts everything into perspective.
3: To be fair, We've, you've been through worse. You've been very oh, lucky that that ten-day trip got like, cut short to five day and You could go to Dubai, can't you?
5: Set hey, me store it could, out early. It, it doors, could
3: have all been I, so much different, couldn't it? You could have. Hey, you Decisions. Could have <laughs>
2: <laughs> Un- unbelievably inspirational, mate. I mean, before we go on to obviously a comeback again. I mean, the books come out, and you're you're doing your speaking and everything. What yeah. what's the message that you want? You're trying to get out. What you know? What, what yeah. have you got from it all? One,
5: you're ever stronger than you can than you believe. Um, I think as well. I also talk about dealing with adversity because everybody's got to deal with adversity. You know, I've just watched The Last Dance, Michael Jordan, and I didn't realize that his dad. Got murdered. That's the greatest ever sportsman in history, in my eyes, has had to deal with some sort of adversity. So I try my best now to give coping mechanisms and strategies and tools to overcome that. So resilience is, tends to be the theme for mine. And I'd always say, like, you are stronger than you actually think, but you just have to dig a little bit deeper at times um, to overcome certain things.
4: By the way, you didn't shush the crowd, did you, when you, scored, when you scored that goal, the famous goal? The famous
5: goal? No, I didn't shush the crowd, so that, for me, <laughs> <on>. was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, it was. Did you think you were going to come back again? Oh, yeah, yeah. I Enough knew much. once I got put into remission, I knew that I was going to get back to playing football. Um, and I, This time was different. I didn't want to prove anybody uh, wrong. I wanted to prove myself right, so I just wanted to score one more goal. No, you know, just get that feeling of it in the back of the net in a proper game, one last time. I didn't think it'd pan out how it panned out. You know, fairy tale on Sky, the only game on Sky. We're in relegation zone. Kind of the ultimate survivor. Make sure everyone else survives. Oldham go down. Um, I'd been on trial at Oldham previously, and they told me <laughs> so. No, there was no contract there, so I could have gone (laughs) shush. Actions speak louder than words, don't
1: they?
5: Yeah.
4: That must have been.
5: I didn't uh, didn't understand the enormity of that goal, though. Um, I only realised, Guy, I was in a zone the, the week prior to it. Like, big on music, love listening to music. I wasn't training nowhere near as much as I'd like to. I was training once, twice a week. Uh, And then the rest was just in the gym, uh, ticking over. And I knew possibly it could be my last game. Like Rochdale had looked after me. um, And this was potentially going to be my last game. So when he told me I was on the bench, pissed off at Keith. there. (laughs) Um, And I just remember warming up like this in front of him all the time. And then 65th minute, he put me on. And then four minutes later, scored the goal. Yeah, that goal that they... Oh. And if everyone remembers. That's like that's like that
3: that must have been just like the the ultimate it were worth it. From a football point of view. Obviously yeah. your family, your family your wife and your uh, and yeah. your little one, from but from the football point of view, it were all worth it.
5: Yeah, everything. Cause even that second rehabilitation, I went back into training nine stone. Uh bold week i remember going in the gym and the physio uh took me in the gym he literally held my hand um, and like saw all the lads and they were doing a little spin class and ian henderson the captain brought over some uh pink dumbbells the little two kgs and was like (laughs) fucking ljt we've got some work to do um but they all started laughing and i was like yes back to the that's what that's what you needed
3: i imagine that's um, what you needed so you're not you are not, yeah i did
5: like uh i was so used to being like molly coddled looked after wrapped up in cotton wool um and even down to my last visitors on the day that I left isolation was Nikki Adams, who had been with um Berry and Rochdale prior, and Brian Barry Murphy. So Nikki come in, and Murph come in at the same time. Bear in mind, my visitors, few and far between, and Murph must have got sent in by Keith to have a look at me because um, he wouldn't have been able to face it. And Murph, when he came in, was like, dipped his head in like through the door because you have to wash yourself down properly. So I could hear someone washing themselves down outside. Um, and he popped his head in, he whipped it back out. And I said, Murph, come in, mate. He was like, Irish guy. He's like, fucking hell. I've been on marching the corridors for the last half an hour just to get myself ready to come and see you. I said, come in. I know I'm looking like a bag of shit. Um, Nicky comes in five minutes later right through the door I was like Nick you've got to wash yourself down mate rubs my head bear in mind I've got hardly any hair so how are you lad gives me a kiss and that I'm like Nicky go outside and wash yourself like <laughs> but that normality and that chalk like chalk and cheese and just being in and around lads again was what I uh I needed so for the six to nine months of that rehabilitation I couldn't get myself into that training room and training ground fast enough. I just loved it.
2: So you mean, were your daughter
5: on the pitch after the game as well? Yeah, that yeah, yeah. That was That was moment. so... I dropped her off at my mum's prior to it. Um, and she played Greatest Showman. Yeah. This is the greatest show. So we've all heard it now, kids, you know. We've heard it a thousand times. I remember listening to it and I dropped it off. I played it again. And it's talking about overcoming scars, blah, blah, blah. And as I left her at my mum, she said, make sure you get me on the pitch after the game as they do. And you're thinking, well, we better win it or there's no <laughs> chance you're going on the pitch. She's hard enough asking the gaffer or the groundsman to give you 15 minutes on the pitch after a game anyway. Um, so, yeah, when we find out that we obviously stayed up after six or seven minutes of waiting for Oldham's result um, and it came in, sky cameras in front of me, man of the match, all of that. Um, and then all the fans just drove, like ran onto the pitch. They all just ran past me. I've got my little girl on my shoulders just walking around. They all just ran past me. like None the wiser, just absolutely like pandemonium. And for me, it was just about having that little moment with my little girl because I'd made her a promise that I'd get myself out of that hospital and I'd get back to playing football and I'd her on the pitch as soon as possible it's like goose it's...
4: pimples there lads i mean goose oh, pimples
5: it's what it's what we love though isn't it you know we talk about promotions you want your family to come on with you it's about creating memories isn't it i mean
3: most most dads will be there like i mean most kids, dads will be the kids inspiration but i mean your little girl's got like just a totally different level to look up to ain't she Set the bar
5: high. I'm thinking this for boyfriends (laughs) in the future. You know, we've all seen bad boys. We've all seen bad boys. Uh, Me and my brother will be chitty-chitty (laughs) bang-bang at the door when the first uh, boy knocks on the door for Lula. Um, Yeah, it's creating that legacy, isn't it? Um, But yeah, she does. She kind of sees me as a superhero at times without a cape. So now then, do you still have to go and get tested every so often now or...? Yeah, yeah. So I should have been in literally this week gone. Um, but we just had to do it over the phone. Uh, I have to go every six mm. months now. So we're three years on. And see, so coming, making that decision to retire from football after I tried to go again the following season, I only played one game um, and tore my hamstring really bad. But like I said, immune systems compromised. Uh, nerve damage, and I shouldn't have been anywhere near a football pitch. So after sitting down with a specialist, I just said, "You know what? I think maybe pushing my well luck now." You know, three strikes yeah. and you're out, in a way. So uh, onto pastures new.
2: Enjoying these the new pastures?
5: Yeah, I am. Um, it's, it's tricky in it when we, you know, we've all come out of football now, and that transition, you do feel lost at times. I've been fortunate that. I plan this because of what's happened, not once, but twice. Uh, so the transition for me has been, uh, I'd say, easier than most, a bit different, you know, motivational speaker. I do it whereby I really try and help out the young ones in football, but I also know that there's a business side of things and I'm forever learning and I'm interested in business. So it's, uh, it's good. Yeah, it's refreshing. It's challenging. Forgotten to mention, like, someone asked me before, they messaged me um, about favourite moment with Keith Hill. So I'll let you in on one, yeah. So one, we played Bury and we beat him at home, like I talked about before. Then we played him away. Chris O'Grady's been amazing for us, right? He's been amazing for us all season. Top goal scorer. First 45 minutes, he's had a beast. But Chris, unbelievable body. Immaculate, like, looks like a rock. Um, but Keith used to be on him all the time um, he even brought him to tears a few times and he said right lads 45 minutes he's like you spot on you spot on yes you all play you got your kahunas out Chris top off sat there sweating like you're thinking where's he going with this he said Chris stand up so Chris he stands up He he gets down he squats he whips his shorts down he looks at his balls massive balls, <laughs> massive balls. And he goes, see, Chris, it's incredible. Squatting down. And he doesn't say anything to anyone else. He just looks at us all and goes, grab your balls. So we all look at each other and go, okay. So we're all sat there grabbing our balls. He was like, these lads, I've got their balls out there. They're playing with bravery. But you, Chris, you need to find them. But I can see them. But you need to find them. And Chris is like this, so he pulls his he pulls his shorts back up and goes, "Okay, Gaffer." Is that all okay? <laughs> kidding? so quickly that you freak to yourself. I would not do this. I won't. I won't speak to me like that. There's not no chance. I'm getting my balls out. Um, but yeah, it was mental. And I've seen the tweet before about Keith but I've said it when I've done like kind of any after dinners. I don't know if it maybe crept into the book in a, in a in a softer light, but I was like, <laughs> wow. Can, can
3: you imagine him just stood there with his hands down by his side,
5: and just, just with his cock and balls at? <laughs> and it was like, and it's Chrisio Grey, like, he's like, oh, muscles everywhere. You're just thinking. I'd
3: have a good at that <laughs> one. I'd have wiped him around yeah. his cheeks and me cock, I think. Always <laughs> <laughs> oh, an option. I've just got his vision of Keith Hill. Yeah. Just
5: looking at his balls there like Jesus, man. Every time I went back to the very changing rooms and played like that after, I always used to think, wow, that was the crime scene. <laughs> what? <laughs> Did he go out and score second <laughs> half or? He didn't, but he got us promoted. So it was paid big off, off for Christy OG. Uh It paid <laughs> off massively, mate, yeah. Man management <laughs> at its finest. <laughs> and by the way, Make sure you don't get Albie on this ever again. I'm fed up of hearing Albie. Oh, what about this? Look at the views <laughs> that this one's done. Blah blah blah. <laughs> salt and pepper. He even tried to come for me with the salt and pepper. He was like, "I know it's a little." I said, "Albie, I've lost this twice, mate. I don't give a shit about <laughs> well, fella. Absolute perler. And the last time me and Albie went out together, let's see. I don't think he mentioned it on that one. We was in Tenerife pre-season. Just gone or whenever it is now. Um, Ended up at a festival in the middle of Tenerife, one of the best nights of our lives. And I knew then I was going to retire sooner (laughs) rather than later. He's (laughs) 40-year-old
4: as well, you know, Aaron
5: Wilbraham. Oh, mate. And he's the the worst one. He's he's like Peter Pan, (laughs) big kid. He is the worst one. <laughs> We've worked hard all week. We need a little blowout. I'm like, yes, you're right, Aaron. All in proportion. Um, yeah, absolutely loves it. And the credit to him still going yeah. because he's a oh, work hard, play hard. All <laughs> right, well, well, mate. Thank Absolute you very much, mate.
3: Cheers, buddy. Thank,
5: Thank you. you mate. Mate. Take, Take it easy. Care, Stay safe as well, too. yeah. Mate.